Another Way to Play, episode 20. Hey, this is Kevin Mills, serial salesman, speaker, jack of all trades. And if you want to learn how to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my friend, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Strazina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is Kevin Mills. He is a self-proclaimed serial salesman, speaker, jack-of-all-trades, and currently a mortgage broker with Crest Mortgage in Phoenix, Arizona. He's licensed in Arizona as well as my state of California. He previously helped build a direct sales team to over $1 million in annual sales and was ranked as the number one recruiter in the nation for that company. He is actually probably the youngest person we've had on the podcast at 22 years old, uh, but I got a chance to know him through one of our mutual friends, Travis Chapel in his uh, Facebook group, and uh, we connected, and, and we've chatted on the phone for a while and, and gotten to know each other a little bit, and I thought he brought some really interesting stories and values, so I uh, wanted to bring him on the show. Uh, he talks about a couple things, but in particularly, uh, he brings up a story of his brother who was a Marine Corps recruiter helping him create a sales system so that when he was only 16 years old, he could go and succeed uh, as a door-to-door salesman and actually get in front of business owners to try and sell them advertising. Great story there. Spoiler alert, he said he learned a lot but didn't make a ton of money. Um, But he then kind of takes us into this concept of failure and and why failure is not always a bad thing. And in fact, it's probably important to fail. And as long as you keep learning from it and build on those experiences, it's it's definitely for the better. And towards the end, he brings something up uh, about passion, which I think you should listen for. So make sure you go all the way to the end. Um, He says, you don't have to do what you love as long as what you do helps you produce what it is you love. So I thought that was really insightful and really powerful. Um, Take a listen for that at the end of the episode. And uh, when you get done with this episode, uh, go down to the show notes and find my Calendly link so we can connect. Get on my calendar as I would love to connect with you directly, learn a little bit about you, tell you more about myself, and find out uh, how I can make this podcast better and who, uh, what other guests I should bring on. Uh, what questions I should ask them, and and what uh, you would like to hear more of. So with that, uh, let's get into today's episode with Kevin Mills. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You are most welcome. Well, uh, after, obviously, we just went through your bio. So why don't you build a little bit of context for us and uh, tell us kind of where your journey started? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up in a um, great family, absolutely awesome family, but it was pretty conservative. Um, 
and I kind of always had a, a penchant for sales, making money, doing things differently. Um, you know, I can count back to um, one of my more early memories of prob. This is actually probably my first sales position, so to speak, was when um, my my dad was a pastor of a church for the first I don't know ten or eleven years of my life. And I remember when I was five or six years old, I made a bunch of paper baskets, put them in a big garbage bag, took them to church, and then sold them to everybody at church for 75 cents a piece. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Needless to say, my dad wasn't too happy with that. But, you know, um, that kind of, kind of set the stage for, um, you know, my life going forward from a very early age, it sounds like you were always sort of coming up with ideas business wise and making, making money and, and doing the sales thing. Oh, for sure. I had a new regardless, business here. <laughs> regardless of what your dad had to say about it. Correct. Correct. Which granted, I don't want to come off on the wrong impression. You know, my dad was always very, very supportive. I think his main hiccup there was me uh, uh, making a profit at church, but fair enough. Uh, you you start these entrepreneurial ventures. You're going to church. You're uh, making a profit, as you just said. Dad wasn't quite as pumped about it, but it sounds like you had a knack for it because you you clearly found a, a need and you you filled it. Absolutely, um, and you know I, I throughout my um, earlier development years, so say from I don't know probably ten to fifteen or so. Um, I was not the kid that wanted to play video games all the time. Um, I was never into sports or anything like that. Um, I was always a very hands-on person. And instead of, you know, playing Halo with my friends, I would be on YouTube figuring out how to rebuild an engine or um, how to sell candy bars, right? Um, so, you know, throughout those years, I went through a lot of different um, – ideas for my future because um, that was always a big thing for me growing up was what I wanted to do you know when I was a big boy right mm -hmm. and you know I, I kind of bounced back and forth between different manual labor things you know my dad also owned a body shop um, did like collision repair on cars so I did that um, I my first real job that I actually got paid for um, when I was 13, I rebuilt small engines at a, a dealership across the street from my house. Um, you know, I had my own lawn care company for uh, about a year or so. And then probably, I think I was 15 maybe, maybe been 16, I got my first real sales job. The guy that owned the company that my dad did body work for also had a weather company they did like weather news and storm chasing and things like that um, and he hired me to sell advertisement um, and that's really where i saw the first big light bulb as far as hey i could make a career out of selling stuff wow so big light bulb goes off you you get into the advertisement selling game and you're barely old enough to drive 
Yeah, I just got my license. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about that that intimidation factor of being a young person in a I would assume a, a traditionally older person's industry. Because it's not oh, yeah. like you're selling tech. You're selling advertising on the news or on the TV, presumably. Right. I mean, honestly, looking back, it was hilarious. I remember, <laughs> I remember putting on my suit um, and, you know, I hit my growth spurts like way late in life. I was like 17 before I even grew. Oh, wow. Little kid just started driving, threw on my suit. And this was like bare bones sales, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking calling out of a phone book. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, I went to these different towns and straight cold um knocked on their doors you know tried to get a meeting with the the business owner to sell advertisement i mean it was bottom of the barrel right beginning sales right um and it really was a hilarious thing you know being a small 16 year old kid trying to convince uh, a 65 year old business owner who's never spent a dime in his life on internet advertisement um that i could add value to his company so yeah, it was hilarious, um, and, but it really did build a strong foundation on you know where I've come today. So I mean, I'm I'm hearing rather than you pulling any money out of that story, you know, monetary <laughs> success. I, not to say you didn't succeed in that way, but it, I what you're telling me here, it sounds like, is it was the the experience that you gained. Oh yeah, yeah, I didn't make any money. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> But what I did was, gain a lot of experience. So, so what was it for you that allowed you to look, go to these towns and physically knock on the door uh, of these business owners that, I, I mean, I can't imagine any other 15, 16 year old kids are doing that. So what set you apart in that way? So that wasn't my idea. Um, if it was up to me, I would have hidden behind the phone the whole time. Um, but my one of so I come from a, a family of five. Um, pretty much everyone in my family has found success in some way. Um, it's partly it's a, you know how we were raised. And one of my brothers um, was a recruiter in the United States Marine Corps, mm. and he was the, I mean, number one rookie recruiter in the nation several times. Um, he was a sergeant at the time. And in the way that his leadership in the office um, that that he ran worked, he was actually positioned over staff sergeants, which are mm-hmm. a higher rank than him. Mm-hmm. So he was extremely successful recruiter. So I went to his, he lived in Birmingham and I live uh, Alabama and I lived in Tupelo, Mississippi at the time. And so I went to his house one weekend after I started selling this advertisement and said, basically listen i suck you're good at what you do teach me how to sell and we basically just went through a boot camp that weekend um and that was one of the strategies we left with was uh you know pound the pavement get directly in their face because it's a lot easier um you know to create a relationship rapport and close that sale in person than it is you know over the phone so yeah that's that's kind of how i got pushed into the direction of doing that so your Marine Corps brother told you to go knock on some doors. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Because believe it or not, um, that's how he found a lot of his success. Mm. 
um, was was simply just straight up door knocking. Well, it clearly worked for him and his message, and and it sounds like you had some success with that as well. So, looking back on that early part of your career, uh, and really more just your life in general, because you're learning life skills at that age, you kind of built this muscle up around getting in front of people, talking uh, to you know face to face, and and getting out as you said from behind the phone. Um, was that the thing that you feel like really set you apart since then? Or is there something else that you learned along that, along that journey? So yes and no, um, or I would say yes to both of those things that you just suggested. Um, yes, it set me apart because, you know, those nowadays, that's an unconventional method, right? Um, everybody wants to build a funnel or, do online marketing and that's great. You know, um, it works. Absolutely. There's, there's not many people going at it the old school way anymore. Right. And so you can kind of differentiate yourself from all the other competition. But then secondly, I mean, yeah, there's things I learned along the way. Um, that's one thing about sales is, you know, for the first, I don't know, one or two years in sales, I sucked. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I sucked. Um, it's a continual learning thing. Mm-hmm. With each and every pitch, I'm learning something new. Each and every month, I read a new book. I listen to a new podcast. Um, I go to a different event. So I'm constantly absorbing new knowledge. But yeah, I, I think really and truly for me to have reached the level of success that I have thus far, um, especially at my age, it really goes back to the grassroots of how I began to build um, those skills. You know, I didn't just go into a call center where no one cared about me and, and um, try to do it that way. I surrounded myself with, you know, people that knew more than me and listened to what they told me to do. And it kind of grew from there. Is there something you just said that just sort of pinged in my brain? I just, uh, one of our mutual friends, Travis Chapel, is obviously has a fantastic podcast, Build Your Network. And that's through his Facebook group, how we got connected but um, I was listening to his podcast and uh, episode 309 with Evan Carmichael, who has a really big presence on YouTube, helping entrepreneurs kind of go through their journeys. Uh-huh. Uh, really interesting story. But one of the things he was, he was saying on that podcast was basically that like, it's totally okay to suck and you have to have like a long-term vision. And that's something that's really been resonating with me that I think is popping up in your stories. <laughs> you literally said I sucked for the first couple of years and, and it sounds like it didn't kill you. And it sounds like you were like in the long term Okay with that because here you are. Can you sort of talk about that? Cause I think there's such a desire to succeed in 30 days or less, or, you know, get your first, um, million by 30 or whatever the, the tagline is now. And if you don't hit this metric in a really fast timeline, uh, you've not only failed, but it's a complete waste of time. Um, but it sounds like your story is not that case. Yeah. And, but don't get me wrong. I fell into that trap up until um, probably, to be honest, June of this year. Oh, wow. I kind of beat myself up thinking that I had failed at life, um, that I didn't meet my goals, that I still sucked. And then I realized 
that I don't, <laughs> right? Because I have set my goals so high, and don't get me wrong, I'm still a firm believer and you need to dream big, you need to set high goals, but I had the goal of I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was 21. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? That didn't happen. <laughs> but I made a lot of money. I made a lot of freaking money, right? Mm-hmm. But I didn't make a million dollars. So on one hand, you know, I kept beating myself up over that failure and I beat myself up so much to the point that I didn't realize the massive amounts of success that I had that for my age group and, you know, really not even for my age group that I had gotten into the 1%, you know, of income earners or that I had um, found success in a business that nobody ever succeeds in. You know, so, yeah, I mean, that happens a lot with a lot of people is they strive for success and perfection so much. And I actually just wrote a blog article kind of about this, that you, you got to be okay with failing. You just have to, especially if you're going to be in any kind of industry that has any kind of sales um, around it, because you're going to fail daily. Absolutely. You have to be okay with people telling you no. Um, I think that's one reason why a lot of people that try to get in sales um, don't go anywhere is because they're not okay with people telling them no, because that's a sign of failure. You didn't do your job well enough. But at the end of the day, that's okay, because every failure and every no that I get gets me closer to success and a yes. So that is all mindset based. I mean, everything you're talking about is literally looking at uh, a, a no and seeing it as something other than no. How did you develop that? Was that a mentor? Was that self-education, some combination? What was that for you? So it was kind of half and a half of um, a mentor and a light bulb, right? Um, so I had heard kind of throughout some of the different mentors that I look up to and, um, self-education that, you know, I consume, you hear things about, you know, no's just one step closer to yes. Um, Mm -hmm. things along those lines, but where it really clicked for me, light bulb wise was if you go back to my direct sales days, right? So my general closing ratio was 33%. Mm-hmm. That means out of every three demonstrations I did, I was going to sell one machine. Mm-hmm. So if I made $1,000 off of one sale, then technically each time I got a no, I got paid $333 for that no because it got me one step closer to the yes. Mm-hmm. You know, So you have to kind of do the math and the analytics and figure out that then you're just getting the no's out of the way. They got to happen. There's... I've met a bunch of great salesmen. I've seen some of the best, um, you know, entrepreneurs in the world. There's nobody that has a hundred percent closing ratio. Totally. It doesn't exist, right? You're going to have no's and you just have to learn again. Like you said, a mindset change for me, it was an instantaneous light bulb moment and it's changed my life since then. Um, but you got to be okay with no, and you just got to learn to move past that make the no's smaller, that way you have more yeses 
and hopefully that snowballs and, and gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you reach the level of success that you're really shooting for. With that, uh, I mean, it's, it's, I, I just have to point this out because it sounds to me like you're describing a lot of what Grant Cardone talks about. Is that, has he been a lot of the influence in, in your training and learning or is there someone else that you followed as well? Yeah, um, Grant Cardone was a big one for a little while. I Honestly, I haven't been keeping up with him that much here lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for a solid year and a half, for sure. I, I yeah. love Grant Cardone. Um, he's awesome. Ryan Stuman, mm-hmm. uh, hardcore closer. He's another big one that I listen to. Um, and then other than that, I would say my mentors have been more of um, closer personal relations relationships um with you know some different entrepreneurs in my community local community that i've seen that have you know made success out of their businesses and i i basically do um you know my my philosophy is i don't want to recreate the wheel or i don't want to make a new wheel right um there's no need in me being an inventor and some new idea or strategy or whatever i just want to find somebody who's done what I want to do and figure out how they did that. Um, so that's probably been my biggest mentorship is just finding people locally that I would be willing to trade places with, mm. you know, going out to, to supper with them, taking them to a coffee, whatever, and just talking through life, figuring out what they did and how can I replicate that in my own life. So we're obviously – having a conversation about sort of success. And this is one of my big reasons for starting this podcast is to have that reason to reach out to folks that I respect and want to learn from. But for someone who's listening, who may not have a podcast or have a, have a following that they can leverage to get in front of somebody, what uh, have you used to get in front of those local entrepreneurs in order to, to get a piece of their time and to, to learn some of their advice? So firstly, I think the biggest challenge for a lot of people, unless, unless you're already kind of in the entrepreneur game, but if you know you're working at a um, nine to five and you're wanting to start something big and you need someone to look forward to, your biggest challenge is going to be to figure out who you should be talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can really be a challenge. I've run into that before. Um, I would say the biggest thing is just going to be to figure out, you know, who's the leader in the space that you want to be in. But then after you've found who the biggest thing for me and, you know, our friend Travis Chapel talks about this a lot. And this is something that I kind of practice before getting involved with his group and everything. And I didn't even realize it is truly adding value to those people. Right. And that can be done a variety of ways. You know, you can enroll in their services, make them money. That's the best way to get in contact with me is make me money. Right. Totally. Um, Or to try to add value to their business, you know, so maybe, maybe this guy runs a, um, an oil change dealership that is really successful, but they have a horrible social media following. Right. And say you're really good at social media, reach out to him, offer to help him. And throughout helping that person, you're going to begin to build a relationship. Right. And as you build a relationship with that person, that's when you can begin to really dive down deep and emulate their lives, 
you know, honestly, if you just go up to random people and say, Hey, can I take you out to dinner so I can figure out what you're doing? That's probably not going to work out that well for you. Mm -hmm. Um, but you just have to figure out a way that you can add value to their lives each and every day and begin to build that relationship and just let it grow from there. It's not something that you're going to do overnight, or at least in my case, you know, all of of my biggest mentors, it wasn't a one dinner conversation or an overnight thing. It was, I learned from them over months and years Mm -hmm. um, as we built that relationship together. It's, it's interesting because as I've been reflecting on the the last few minutes of what you've been saying, um, I think it's Tony Robbins that talks about change in this way where it's like, people are like, I've been trying to quit smoking for 10 years. He's like, well, you had, you know, a change happens in an instant. Sometimes it just takes 10 years to get to the instant. And it's sort of an interesting mindset shift. So you're talking about your mindset shift relative to um, the persistence and you had this failure mentality for a long time. And then all of a sudden one day something hit because of all these inputs and influences you were continuing to bring into your life, even though you were not feeling particularly successful at it. Do you find that that's common for, for folks um, that you talk to, to, to have those aha moments, or do you think it's a really gradual change generally? You know, I really haven't talked to many people that have an aha moment. Um, Interesting. I think a lot of times that it, that it has to be called out if that makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times we can't recognize the success in ourselves. Someone needs to recognize it and, you know, lift us up and tell us that we're not failures for it to really click sometimes. Um, You know, I've listened to different podcasts and interviews of some of the the biggest um, industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and they still don't feel like they've made it. Mm -hmm. Right? I think that's one thing we struggle with the most. Um, You know, for me, so just for example, my kind of aha moment is um, I was at this networking event, right? And telling them, telling someone kind of my life story, what I went through and everything. Um, And, you know, they were kind of amazed. And I was like, why are you amazed? And I'm driving home and I get to thinking about this conversation that I had with that person. And I started doing some math. And I was like, holy crap, I sold a million dollars worth of vacuum cleaners in less than 12 months. I was the number one recruiter in the nation in this company. Nobody is good at direct sales half the time because everybody's doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. It just kind of clicked for me. And it was because, you know, somebody kind of called out that success in my life. If that, does that make sense? It does. It's, uh, you get so in your own world and I, yeah. I can 100% relate to this. Yeah. Like when you're, when you're looking at like you're in the weeds, like whether it's a mentor or a random conversation with a stranger, having somebody help you lift your head up and look around and be like, oh, I actually do close at a really high rate or I actually am making close to the money I want or I'm actually not that far away from my goal. Like oh. having that that perspective is so key and you know, in my athletic background and now in my business, having those, those real key relationships with mentors and peers is so, so crucial, both from sort of a motivation standpoint, but, and this is something my wife does really well for me, keeping me honest and like not letting me uh, beat myself up and, you know, 
keep, you know, think less of myself because I haven't hit the million dollar mark or whatever, whatever the case is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of it too is as society, we're so programmed to be, you know, humility is a good trait, right? Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes we take it a little bit too far. I mean, you don't have to be out there bragging, right? But don't, don't push yourself down in your own mind. It's okay to brag to yourself. At what point does, does that turn into sort of cockiness and then maybe even laziness? This is a really good question. I think from, at least in my um, scenario, and I would imagine it's different with a lot of different people and their personalities. For me, it's an inward thing. Um, so I try to be, you know, as humble as I can outwardly. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, whereas inwardly, I tell myself that I'm the bomb.com. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and that kind of helps me stay motivated um, and not fall down into like a pit of depression that you can mm-hmm. kind of push yourself down in when you take humility too far. But with that being said, you know, what you think about also gets released out. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I, I, as I'm sort of, as you're talking about this, uh, I just had a flash to a moment in college. So I was in the rowing team in college and every year we vote for captain and it's an anonymous, anonymous vote. You just write your nomination on a piece of paper. And I was sort of playing that humility card mm-hmm. and I didn't vote for myself. I voted for the other guy, but <laughs> I thought that was sort of like, this is the gentleman's agreement. This is like what you do. But like, I, I personally felt like I would have been a better captain. He ultimately got it. And I think he did a great job. He was totally qualified and, you know, ended up being a great leader for us. However, I, I wonder now to myself, like, okay, if the vote was close, like, did my vote push him over me? And, or did the coach recognize my handwriting and see that he, that I didn't vote for myself and then gave it to the other guy as a result? Like, I won't know, I will never know. But then that, that whole idea is like, I really think I would have been the best choice. And why didn't I vote for myself? Because I was, as you said, taking that humility, maybe a little too far. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nobody cares about you more than you do. Completely. And that may sound selfish, but I don't mean it in a bad way. Nobody cares about you more than you do. You have to stand up for yourself. And if Completely. you don't, you're just going to get run over, especially in the game of entrepreneurship, sales, um, or anything in that, in that realm. Yeah, real estate investing. Correct. Just even opening your own shop if you're a CPA or an accountant or you know, a tax specialist or real estate agent, whatever. Like you... You have to get out there and hustle and believe that you are going to serve that person better than the next person and then prove it. Absolutely. So relative to building that, um, that muscle for yourself inwardly and to some extent outwardly, like what do you do in your environment uh, to keep yourself motivated and keep, keep you pushing forward um, that you think is a, a worth sharing with the audience? Yeah, so I'm a big, big believer in motivation. Um, If I don't have motivation, I'm going to be lazy. And if I'm lazy, I'm not going to make any money. And if I don't make money, I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do in life. Mm -hmm. Right? 
So for me, motivation comes from a variety of places. One area of motivation that honestly has been the biggest kick in the butt for me is my wife. Mm -hmm. You know, when I got married, my career skyrocketed from what it was post-marriage. And that's because now I have another person motivating me to, hey, we're going to change the world. We're going to live a good life, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that's not necessarily going to work every day. Mm -hmm. um, for the days that, that I just need that extra kick in the pants, um, I love listening to pump-up music. Mm -hmm. It really gets my juices going. Um, and then I also like to visualize. Um, so... You know, if there's a new car or a new watch I want, you know, I'm I'm going to figure out what it's going to take to do that. Or if there's another new trip I want to go on to, mm -hmm. uh, figure out what I need to do to do that, map out a plan, and then make it happen. Um, I, finals, for sure. I love that. And I love that you brought up the physical, like, tangible thing, right? Yeah. And I think because there's materialism i think we can all agree to to a certain degree is is not a positive one but there is a situation where i think a car or a watch can be good and and actually i listened to andy frisella's mf ceo podcast and he went on a big rant about this because he had a lamborghini up on his wall for like 10 or 15 years which he now drives and some, and everyone's like, oh man, you could donate that money or you could do this or that. And he's like, listen, when I was, had this Lamborghini up on the wall and I was literally not making money for six years when I started my company. And then I started making $600 a year, uh, cause I was side hustling and I was just eating ramen and living in the back of the shop, but I was visualizing this Lamborghini and now I employ, you know, thousand people or whatever the number is. And I make you know, we make over a uh, couple hundred million dollars in revenue and I help people live their healthiest lives because he does supplements. Um, he's like, it's because of that Lamborghini. And I really thought that was an interesting way to sort of tie that back to a physical thing. He's like, is it really about the Lamborghini or is it about like the motivation of the Lamborghini to then do good, do good in the world? And I, I think the materialism for the sake of the object is probably the unhealthy version. But when you put it in that context of the motivation and what you're going to do ultimately uh, with that money or with that success is really what it's about. I mean, absolutely. Cause here's the deal. A hundred thousand dollars is just zeros on a paper, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas a Lamborghini is a freaking Lamborghini. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot easier for me to get excited about a Lamborghini than it is a hundred thousand dollars. Totally. Um, Cause you know, nowadays that's just numbers moving in the air. There's no real tangible, yeah. tangible thing to associate it with. So I, and I, I even encouraged my wife to do the same. When we first got married, she wanted a Louis Vuitton. I was like, I'm not paying that for a freaking purse. You want it, it yourself, right? Yep, yep. And so she worked hard and guess what? She got one. Um, and it's because she had that, that item that you really, really want. And it's not like she, you know, bought one with the first two grand that she had because that would be stupid. Right. But 
that just gives you the motivation to to keep pushing forward and making money, you know, to where you can buy that just as easily as a normal person can buy, uh, you know, Michael Kors. Um, right. So, well, Kevin, thank, I mean, we're, we're getting a little to the end of our time, so I want to be respectful and, and get you back into your, your work day here. Um, but before we get to the final round I want, of questions, I want to ask you one more because I'm curious what this answer is. Uh, so if you, would, if you had a sticky note, you know, a little post-it note, and you could write a note to your younger self, what would you put on that sticky note? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I would tell myself to, you know, I, I would keep it simple. I would tell myself, don't be stupid. <laughs> what, what, what does that mean to you? You know, for me, that means a lot of different things. Um, a, money, right? Um, you know, I, there, there have been plenty of occasions throughout my formative years where I could have put my money to better use and been a lot further um, now mm -hmm. um, because, you know, we're all about making our money work for us, right? Yep. Um, and then also, you know, there have been times in my life where I took hiatuses from my long-term goals. I let myself get off track. Mm -hmm. um, and so by telling myself not to be stupid would be to stay on course um, with a long-term plan because every day that you deviate from that, every um, month that you slip by, you don't get that back. What you just said there is is really interesting because there's kind of the, the two pains, right? There's the daily pain of continuing to march forward on your goals when you don't feel like it, do the activities, um, or you can, as you say, take a hiatus. And that probably feels a little bit better over time. But if you let that slip in time and again, uh, you will eventually find yourself in a place of being completely off course. It's like you're one degree off and then over, it's like the airplane analogy. If you're one degree off, like over hundreds and thousands of miles, you'll end up in a different continent. And the daily pain of keeping on your goals is a lot more challenging to, to maintain than, than not. But the overall pleasure, I think, if you compound it over time is really where uh, success and, and satisfaction with yourself and your life is found. Yeah. And I love the analogy that you used about the one degree off and, you know, then eventually you find yourself in another freaking country, right? Is when you go off course and you finally realize it's time to get back on course, it takes time to get back on course too. Yep. Right. It does. And so it's just, you got to stay focused and you got to stay pushing every day because we, we used to have this saying in, um, in, in the direct sales group I was with about taking off work, right? We would say it would take three days to make up the one day that we took off because now we have to get back in the routine. We have to, you know, set up our appointments, blah, 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 blah. And you just, you lose so much time when you, when you, look away and stray away from your goals. Absolutely. And, and that's so true and such a perfect analogy for a sales pipeline. I mean, it's, it's perfect. 
Well, with that, I want to transition because we are getting to the end uh, to the focus five, which is the final round of our show. I ask the same five questions to every guest, every episode, and I am excited to see and hear what you, uh, you bring to the answers here. So the first question is, what book have you gifted most often? So for me, that's going to be Leadership 101 by John Maxwell. Um, and that's because it's a short read and you can get a lot of information out of it. Boom. If you had an hour of someone's time, past or present, live or dead, and you could ask as many questions of them as you wanted, who would that person be and why? I'm going to go really basic here and go with Elon Musk. Mm. The dude's a legend. Um, he thinks outside of the box and I would love to just spend an hour with him. Um, not even talking about business, just talking about life and his perspective on it. Amazing. What is one thing that you believe that most people would disagree with you on? So I think a lot of people would disagree with me on this and that's that you don't have to love what you do. Oh my gosh. I almost want to re-record the podcast and ask you about that, but maybe we'll bring you on another time. Um, give us a quick snippet on that one. Yeah. So you, a lot of we, okay. So it's like the biggest thing out there is, Hey, come work for me. That way you can learn how to love what you do. Or I love my job, blah, 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 blah. I yep. hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it because you don't have to love what you do because you can learn to love what you do as long as what you do produces what you love. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, so, that, that belongs on a t-shirt, I think. Yeah, <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, if you love traveling, you don't have to be a travel blogger, find a job that'll produce enough money and give you enough freedom to travel. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you love cars, you don't have to be a mechanic, make enough money and go buy you a bunch of freaking cars. Totally. Right. If you want to change the world, you don't have to be uh, a nurse, make a lot of money, donate to a bunch of different charities, start an orphanage, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, second to last question here is uh, give me a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you go about starting your day? So this is really embarrassing, but I have a horrible morning routine. Um, I always have, and that's because I've always worked in some kind of uh, inconsistent hour type work. Um, so, I mean, really, I wake up. The time that I wake up it differs every day. Um, but basically, I wake up, brush my teeth, take my dogs out, and get in the car. My morning routine really probably kicks in when I get in the car. That's when I listen to my podcasts and motivational music and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think there's some great value there, guys, because you don't have to do the Hal Elrod Miracle Morning to be successful or meditate and read and then drink some green drink all before you know 5 a.m., like there are multiple ways to get the day started. Absolutely. And you got to find what works for you. Kevin, thank you so much for all of that. You, you really brought it today and you, you definitely brought a ton of value to the audience. So thank you for that. Where can people connect with you the most? Yeah, um, I'm on Facebook the most. Uh, I know that makes me seem like a really old person. I really don't use anything else. Um, 
with that being said, you can find me on Instagram at official Kevin Mills. Um, I'll reply to all the DMs there. Uh, but yeah, either Facebook or Instagram. Facebook and Instagram, we will drop the link into the show notes. So if you want to uh, connect with Kevin Mills and get to know him a little bit better, uh, he will be on the DMs on Facebook and Instagram. So with that, we're going to sign it off. So Kevin, thank you so much for, for bringing it today and, and for being part of the podcast. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. And that is today's episode. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kevin. Uh, He is available to connect on Facebook and Instagram, which I have dropped both those links in the show notes so you can go connect with him there. He responds to all his DMs and um, definitely someone that's worth knowing because he's going big places and, and has some really great insight and is willing to share it. Uh, so if you're looking there, go to the show notes and while you're there, uh, find my link to get on my calendar so we can connect and, uh, have a chat about the show. I can learn a little more about you and, uh, figure out how to make the show better. Uh, love to hear what kind of guests you're resonating with, what kind of questions I should continue asking or, or start asking and, uh, figure out really just where to take this thing. Until then, this is your host, Hans Strazina, with another way to play. And remember, make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.